Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? How was your most recent viewing of Rogue One? Alice, I... What am I doing here? <laughs> uh, you're my, uh, you're my new special co-host. For Rogue Fun. <laughs> For Rogue Fun, a podcast story, the uh, preeminent show about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That's right. The very same. Uh, we are back, officially. Oh. Rogue Fun is back, and uh, I'm Alice White, and that's Buddy Duquesne. Yeah. And we are here to bring you the show that's all about Rogue One and why Rogue One is the best. Yeah. Breaking it down bit by bit. Yeah, I've always admired Rogue One for the uh, slow read of the movie that you guys have been doing, and I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I just I, I wish you had told me that that's what we were doing before we got started. Uh, yeah, we just we just watched Rogue One actually. Yes, we did. We did a live stream yesterday. Uh, we were able to get a good handful of Rogue One fans. Uh, to sit and watch the movie with us while we commented on uh, what we love about the about the film. Uh, we had some great back and forth with some of our treasured listeners. And uh, if, I mean, we'll be doing another one soon. So if you want to tune in to the, to a watch party with us, uh, you should follow the show at Rogue Fun Pod on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and so how was my last viewing of Rogue One? It was amazing. I mean, we, we sat down, we talked about it, we had that back and forth. Um, and I feel like we made a lot of really good observations that I'm excited to bring to the table uh, today. So uh, do you want to jump right into the segment of the movie that we're covering in this episode? Absolutely. <laughs> Where we left off last time was uh, the Rogue One crew has crash landed on Edu. So this is the segment that we're covering. We're covering all of Edu. So we have crash landed uh, on Edu. From from crash landing to to uh, leaving Edu. To leaving Edu. Uh, so not none of the trip from Edu to the Yavin Four base. Right. We're just covering Edu here in this segment. And it's a big segment. There's a lot that goes on. Yeah, this is um, this is a pivotal moment in the film, I would say. Absolutely. So they crash land on Edu. And uh, right away, I think it's, it's pretty brilliant how all of the planets in Rogue One get a chance to, um, to have, like, personalities, almost. Uh, Edu is rainy and dark and rocky and craggy and, uh, and definitely affects the mood of the crew after their crash, as well as, uh, as symbolically represents where they are mentally as they've crash landed on this strange planet. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about your description of Edu and it reminds me kind of of, uh, like belly of the whale, right? Like the, the lowest point for our heroes and I feel like, despite the fact that things will get far worse for them later in the movie, uh, emotionally, this is where they are most divided. Uh, this is where they go through the biggest conflict. Uh, and it's where some of the worst things happen in the film. So it, it really is like this this dark moment of genuine struggle for them. Yeah, the scene on Edu, yeah, where they're... They're literally at their most divided here, where they're going to, even though they've come together, Rogue One, the, you know, our main characters are all like together in one ship, they are still on separate paths and doing separate quests. Um, 
before they can come together as a team. Yeah, this concept of paths will come back later in the episode, but I feel like, yeah, nobody nobody's actually working together here. Uh, right. And, and they even split the party quite intentionally, and it's one of the first things that Cassian does, right? He's like, okay, we can't all be together because then people will start to figure things out that I don't want to figure things out, so I'm going to take control and break everybody up. Uh, so he takes Bodhi with him. Right. And that big, the big lie he tells um, about why he needs to just take Bodhi and leave Jin behind, leave everyone behind, why he splits the party. It's a, it's a very suspicious moment. It's so suspicious. He's, he's, he's been doing this for a long time. He's mm-hmm. apparently a great spy and just a, a total scoundrel. And he's <laughs> so bad at lying here. Right. Like, he totally gives his game away. <laughs> He tells this big lie like, oh, you're the messenger. Uh, you you got to take the message back if, if anything goes wrong. I'm coming with you. No, your father's message. We can't risk it. You're the messenger. That's ridiculous. We all got the message. Everyone here knows it. And Jin's like, no? No. <laughs> no, we all heard the message. We all heard it. Cassian. <laughs> and even Kay can't, uh, can't play along. Like, he doesn't know what Cassian's... I mean, he... He might not even know Cassian's mission no. um, because he wasn't talking to Draven when, when Draven gave him the message to to kill Galen. Right. So K2 is like, oh, the whole system goes down. You know, he's like playing. He's <laughs> That's like, how you said it. The, the whole, whole system, system goes, goes down. down. One blast to the reactor module and the whole system goes down. That's how you said it. The whole system goes down. Get to work fixing your cons. <laughs> and he's kind of, you know, making a making fun and teasing like he's been doing this whole this whole film. But uh Cassian does not does not play. He here. gives him such a face, like, uh no, no, K2, no. <laughs> yeah. That's not he, what we're doing. And he snaps. And he's yeah. like, get to work on those comms, you know? Like he he really it's like a overreaction. Um and I think it's it's just he's really gone through a lot. That day, I really, I think that's that's what it is. I think Cassian uh, has had like a really horrible day, and his nerves are are shot, and so his normal like spy demeanor is gone. The smile that he was able to put on his face at the beginning of the film, right before he shot the stormtroopers, like he can't do that here. Um, yeah, he was in a firefight on Jetta and caught in a cage, which he said was the first time. Uh, a very narrow escape through a, you know, a, a city that was literally upside down over his head. Um, and now he's got to go assassinate Galen Erso, who, um, whose daughter he has formed, like, this this trust and bond with yeah, already. Their bond is, is definitely still being built. So this is a really pivotal moment where he's choosing his duty over that bond, but she's still trying to work towards the bond and i think i think that's that's also part of why he snaps is because he sees her her outer shell breaking and his outer shell was starting to break as well but now he's got to rebuild it and she can't know why and he knows that killing galen isn't necessarily the best call but it's what he's been told to do right yeah right and soon we'll see cassian breaking orders maybe for the first time in his whole life right and um and what that you know does to him but we'll get we'll get there we'll get there 
Uh, so, so Cassian leaves with Bodhi. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's this really important line. When Baze and Chirrut, when Chirrut asks Baze, um, does he look like a killer? And Baze, without hesitation, responds, no, he has the face of a friend. Does he look like a killer? No, he has the face of a friend. And the face of a friend. The face of a friend. Um, I think that's really special. I think we we get a lot of good Baze and Chirrut content in this scene, in this segment of the film. Absolutely. And that's one a really important, like, special thing. Baze doesn't hesitate. He... He doesn't believe in the force anymore. He's made no. that clear. Yeah. Um, but he still understands when what Chirrut's asking. And face of a friend is not necessarily like, oh, he's, you know, he's smiling. You know, it's it's Cassian. He's not smiling. He's not being friendly. He's not not any of that. But he has the face of a friend. Is think, maybe think, an instinct? Yeah, face of a friend. So you're right. Like, he's not being friendly, Right? So, face of a friend has to mean something else. And I think what it means is, they they saw through his lie, or Bayes did, right? He saw on his face that how he was acting was not how he really felt. Right. So, he's still their ally, and he's still on their side, and doing what he can for them. That's what that's what Cassian believes. Right. Um, and I think that's what Bayes reads off of him. And, and Chirrut is is feeling a disturbance in the forest because because Cassian thinks he's going to kill. Right. The, um, the but he's not moving moves, like a killer. Right. The forest moves darkly near a creature that's about to kill. Right. And so Chirrut senses that. And so ask Baze, like, can you confirm that this is something I'm seeing? But Baze says no. Or, or, you know, says he doesn't seem like the kind of person that would let that happen he's not a killer like cassian kills people but he's a soldier and i think there is a difference there is a Uh, difference and the force was moving around cassian i think because cassian was gonna kill knowing it was wrong and that's what a killer does Uh, where a soldier kills because he's told to or because he believes in it right right but a, a killer kills knowing it's wrong and doing it anyways. And that's what the, the disturbance was. And that's why his face still looks like a friend. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those little things that I, I didn't even realize that line was in there. Like the face of a friend. And then we were, we were watching this scene yesterday and really paying close attention to it. And I was like, whoa, was that a loaded line? It like, is. What is the face of a friend in this context for 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 Bays and Chirrut? Who? What is a friend? And right. I think it's somebody with a concern for them. It's somebody for a concern for them, or maybe for Chirrut, it means somebody who, um, because he's talking about the the force and the dark side of the force. Maybe it's somebody who, um, who is not rooted in the dark side of the force. Maybe. Right. The dark side is the enemy for Chirrut. And so Baze, while still claiming to not believe in the Force, uh, knows what Chirrut's asking anyways. Like, uh, is, is to this be... guy going to use the dark side? Maybe. Baze used to be so, so faithful. We know yeah. this about Baze. And the faith is still in him. And he he's rejecting it. But, like, that skill is still there. Right. But getting a read on someone and understanding them on a deeper level than just 
talking to them or just seeing them, like truly understanding them, uh, is what Baze was exercising there. And Chirrut has it different. He has the spiritual. Baze has the, I don't know, streetwise almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a it's a beautiful little moment. Yeah. And I love here too when they talk about the force. Um and how it moves darkly near a creature about to kill. It's another one of these moments, like um, like earlier with the talk of the kyber crystals and um, and trusting the Force and, and how the Force is important even to the non-Jedi. It's another one of those moments where the writers of this film take time to acknowledge that there's more to the Force than just what the Jedi talk about. You know, the, it is expanding Force mythology. Um and the yeah the it's not just picking things up and throwing them around or it's a <laughs> or power anything. that lets you control people and move rocks <laughs> it's not that it's a sense of the world around you and yeah. and and that this line is really telling about uh what that means to to non-jedi yeah and i i like that a lot <laughs> So Jin hears it, killer, and then sniper configuration when Snake when K says his his gun was in the sniper configuration. Like K Jeez, has no K. idea. He has no idea. He He's... I don't think he would say that out loud if he knew what what Cassian was up to. So so you and I have had a lot of conversations about droids in Star Wars and you know what programming is and what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I really think k2 is just a big old dummy who who has no clue about what subtlety is in a rebel operation like, <laughs> no he has he just, no idea <laughs> like and which is funny because he's this isn't his first rebel operation and no. h- him and cassian are a team but i think k2 lacks that um that emotional empathy that knowledge right He's not plugged into the force. He's not plugged into the subtlety of the situation. Can't read He's just necessarily. Like, can't read Cassian's body language when no. Cassian's like trying to be sneaky. Right. Uh, uh, so so he's just like, oh yeah, that seems like he's gonna go kill someone. That's so weird. Um, it's not. But I, we were talking about it as a betrayal, and it's not a betrayal. It's not a betrayal. He doesn't understand why it would be a betrayal. And I think maybe, and I'm, I'm gonna stick stick to this theory that Kay doesn't. Kay doesn't know what Cassian's up to. Not just, like, doesn't care about telling people what Cassian's up to or doesn't have the empathy to not mention it. I think Kay has no idea what Cassian's doing with this sniper and with the, with the sniper rifle. And, and so when... And I think part of that, why he says it well, like the, the his weapon was in the sniper configuration. I think that's Kay also processing, like, a this might be the first time in their partnership that Cassian hasn't told him what, what he's up to. Huh. It could be that Kay is the one feeling betrayed by this. Like, wow. Like, I don't know what's going on. Cassian's got a gun and he didn't tell me why, but we always tell each other why. Wow. Maybe that's it. Uh, their, their sense of trust earlier in the film is very deep, right? Yes. And, and Cassian tells him what he has to do and helps him along and k provides the the data and the odds of things and 
advice the whole way not to mention being like nine feet tall and throwing people and stuff like <laughs> and throwing grenades and <laughs> they're a great team yeah this is a another splitting of the party that if cassian had maybe been a little wiser about how he was splitting everybody up maybe things would have gone quite differently and so it's interesting that things are going this way that cassian is so worked up that he's making these mistakes right so it's yeah it's Kay's line that clues Jin in that something's not right here. So she leaves. And there's this really good shot that lingers on Chirrut's face as Jin sneaks out, where he is so conflicted. Like, his frown deepens. Like, he is not... He is, like, like really worried about what's about to happen. And I think part of that is what, what, what happens next with the... Again, with the talk about paths. I think he's he is in this moment assessing the path. Yeah, he's trying to figure out he he doesn't know where he stands, but I mean we're not there yet, but I think he's gonna figure out what he needs to do is follow the only clear path. Right. And he doesn't have one for himself, so now it's time to decide which path is clearest. Yep. And yeah, and the clear path is the path the that the force has laid out, you know, that's his trust in the force again. But we'll get there. We're not yeah. there yet. Well, we're almost there. We have like two little <laughs> two little notes that I've made that I want to talk about between okay. Jin sneaking away and uh, and more cheer it back on Edo. But there's um, two two notes I made. Um, one, the shot where the X-wing is taking off to make its uh, when they're the squadron is taking off to make an attack run on Edo. Um, there was something. This is the first time I've ever noticed this. Um, and so the X-wing lifts off. And it hovers there for a minute and wobbles, like, pretty significantly and, like, looks like it stabilizes and then it takes off. And to me, that felt really hesitant or, like, it's a brand new pilot or something. Because at this point in the canon, like, the Rebel fleet is fairly untested. They are. They have no major battles against the Empire. The Rebellion is still pretty much underground. Um and, and they're, they're hesitant to engage with with the empire at all um, right and that comes back to that comes back to the story later but this decisive moment where they're gonna go you know bomb this outpost uh and and destroy hopefully uh the people in charge of the death star right <laughs> right um th- this is the first like really decisive action they've taken and narratively it's an unsure step as well right right like we the audience know it's not what they need to be doing uh even cassian knows it's not what they need to be doing and soon they'll find out that it's not what they need to be doing so like that little hesitation which i didn't notice but now that you're pointing it out i'm like oh yeah it takes a second before they get going yeah and it's real it's really cool in the sense of scale of how big the ship is and 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 this is our our first like good look at these x-wings uh as they're about to head out and yeah. uh and and so it waits for a second is it a new pilot is it uh just uh is it a coincidence and i'm reading too much into it who knows but that's <laughs> what that's what it made me feel we don't often get to see the the x-wings feeling powerful and this is one of those moments where uh it does feel very powerful. Like yeah, the X-wings are always uh, on the on the losing end of a fight in the original trilogy. Well, yeah, they're like the underdogs because the they're usually going up against star destroyers and stuff. And the and and when they are going against something their own size, it's a Tie Fighter, which is zippy and fast and and scary, right? Right. 
the X-Wings aren't usually the powerhouse ship to go in, but when they're making their bombing run, they are the only, they're the only ships. I mean, the, the ties come out eventually, but yeah. they, they do massive damage. It's uh yeah, they, they look good. The X-Wings yeah. look good in this movie. The X-Wings never don't look good in this movie. Like every it's, shot it's of an X-Wing looks good. <laughs> huge point of pride for the Rogue One team. I think that the X-Wings always look absolutely perfect. Yep. Um, so the, the next thing we see, so the X-Wings take off and they're heading to Edu and the stakes are getting higher. So Bodhi and Cassian are climbing up the ridge and uh, Cassian steps on a piece of rock that slips and falls into the canyon. And uh, they they are really, they're on a really precarious little walk there, kind of backs pressed up against a wall. Yeah. And uh, Cassian says, go, I'll be right behind you. And Bodhi hesitates. Yeah. Um, and he's gives him a look like, are you serious? You're going to make me lead? Uh, okay. <laughs> and like steps up and they, they kind of slip and slide on their way up the, up the rise. Um, while Jin, we get a shot of Jin um, looking to, he, she looks left and she looks right. And then she chooses to go straight ahead, full speed ahead. There's very little hesitation there. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, where the next thing that happens is Chirrut says, I'm going to follow Jin. Her path is clear. Because her, her path is. is clear, mm-hmm. and it's it's not just her like heart, which is which is now unclouded by all of the conflict that she had before. Like she knows what she wants, she but wants also her I think I think like her path in the Force is also clear. Like now she is locked into this thing that she must do to save the galaxy, right? And she's she's not a on the hero's journey now but she's on a she's on a heroic path that's gonna have her making great sacrifices and doing what needs to be done right and so the next thing we see her do is like climb this impossibly high ladder (laughs) right but yeah because her 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 path is clear and she's heading for that ladder she sees that as the clearest way uh up uh, and to to tie it back to what we were talking about, about paths and about how the force moves darkly. We we're talking about Chirrut's, um, like, point of view here. If uh, Cassian is clouded and the force is dark around him and he, you know, he Cassian, you know, has decisions to make. And Jin's path in the force is bright and shiny and, and clear. Chirrut goes, well, that's it. That's the force. That's the light side. That's where where i go that's the way forward and so he says that to base um and basis uh he says good luck (laughs) you're (laughs) gonna follow her good luck good luck and chirrut says a line that's a beautiful just like a super beautiful a beautiful line when he says uh i don't need luck i have you good luck i don't need luck i have you um which is the it's the sister line to the line the their conversation earlier when we first see them in action. The force did protect me. I protected you. When Chirrut says the force did protect me, and then Baze goes, "I protected you." <laughs> <laughs> and that those two lines, as contrast to each other, um show this like long relationship this like deep committed trust between the two of them they are a dyad in the force a power like life itself 
I love that. No, I really, uh, yeah, I love that. That's they, true. They honestly might be. This is this is two guys who understand each other so deeply that even though they're making these kind of biting, sarcastic comments back and forth at each other, the the love and the care and the trust is immense and apparent in everything that they do for and around each other. And right. this, I, I love the parallel construction. I don't need luck. I have you. The force did protect me. I protected you. They yeah. are each other's luck and each other's force and each other's protection. And yeah. it's all the same. Well, they uh, are. Yeah, they're kind of like a, a rock in this, in this, especially in this scene and the story, like a, like a solid, like foundation. They have each other and they trust each other. And you know what? They're, that's their title, right? Well, like they're the guardians, right? Yeah, that's they're the guardians of the wills and they're going to look after each other. They're going to look after Jin. They're getting up on this on this rock to literally guide her from above when they start shooting down ties. Right. Yeah. Um, And that's that that's them. That's their purpose here in this story as like a like a foundation and, and, a, and a trust and like a capital R romantic. Um, you know, like there's no, no romance in this, in this film. And I'm not, uh, I mean, I think it's adorable if they were romantic, but they don't have to be. It's the, it's romance as like a, as like a broader term. Yeah. Almost the platonic ideal of romance, not a platonic relationship, but a platonically romantic relationship, like true romance. Yeah. Um, and Alice, before we move on to the next thing, I actually want to step it back. Yes, do so. I, I, actually, I actually want to step it way back because I <gasps> just noticed this. And mm, I, I would like to uh, present it to you. Oh, uh, okay. Bodie Rook. Uh, Cargo local pilot, boy, local boy. <laughs> right. Um, the first thing he says in this scene is Cassian looks over his shoulder at him and is like, Hey, is the lab over there? And Bodie says, The research facility? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He corrects him. He he corrects him, and you know we were talking about the the devolution, devolution, de-evolution, <laughs> the the loss of Bodhi Rook's personality and and the loss of his mind um, from Borgullet. Yeah, and that's true. How right. how Bodhi kind of rebuilds his personality off of what people tell him over the course of this film. Um, right, because he's a blank slate after the Borgullet. And he just kind of sits there muttering to himself until someone right. says, you're the pilot, you brought the message. And he says, right. I brought the message, I'm the pilot. Right, that's right. And so so Bodhi knows who he is, but he can't, he can't put it together, right? And I think that's a really interesting moment where Bodhi doesn't get, like, the word lab right away. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, oh the research facility. And you're realizing that there's a little bit more Bodhi there than there was but also Bodhi knows the way but he's unsure of himself anyways so that leading Cassian is further muddling their path right because he he knows like we got to go over this ridge it's just right over here this is too low keep going right right and I just think that's interesting that there's like a little bit more Bodhi but not enough to clear a path for them yet not enough not yet but I think his moment of, of, of or a or a moment is coming at the at the very end of the scene. Yes. 
um, where, yeah, right, right before they leave Edu, something else is going to to bring Bodhi further back into into the light. Um, hopefully, recovering more of Bodhi than there was, bef- you know, after the Borgullet hurt yeah. him. Which, which I already do. I really don't like the Borgullet. <laughs> Regular right. listeners know I'm not a fan of the Borgullet at all. <laughs> um, and the fact that the Borgullet hurt Bodhi Rook the way that it did uh, hurts more. It makes me dislike the Borgullet even more. Bodhi Rook deserves better. I agree. Um, and, and Bodie Rook, uh, cargo pilot. Local boy. <laughs> right. He, uh, he is rebuilding. So that's really heartening to see. It is. It is. If anybody's going on like a, like a upward journey at this point, a lot of people are, uh, Cassian, Jin, they're floundering here. Uh, Bays and Chirrut, as solid as a rock and Bodie's on his way up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Jin's not floundering. Jin's just, um... Well, sh- she she's sticking her neck out in dangerous ways because she knows what she wants but doesn't know how to safely get it. Right. Um, uh, which is which is what happens next in the scene. She right. climbs that ladder. You're you're absolutely right. This is so. This is Jen. <laughs> this is Jen on the ladder, and she's she's climbing up towards her father right this is the mirror of the climb down the ladder that brought her into the hiding spot that took her away from her family for what she thought was forever now she is climbing up a ladder towards her father for the first time in who knows how many years and that she's climbing up toward the light she is she is coming out of that hole that she had put herself in at the, you know, when she was eight years old. And, uh, and that is just really pretty. <laughs> it's really yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, this this movie is, uh, to, to use an overused Star Wars phrase, this movie has a lot of rhyming moments. Uh, That's true. And this is one of those parallel scenes where separation was a descent, reuniting is an ascent, and we'll see that the re the reuniting is even more powerful than that right that there are even more parallels um right. but but for now she has to climb uh and she will now mirror some of the actions she took when her mother was killed right uh, and and actually i think i'm realizing another one just now oh. <laughs> But but I think it's forward. So if you wanna if you wanna move us forward, we'll we'll get we'll, there. Yep, we'll step forward. Um, we'll we'll keep we'll keep on keeping on. Um, so I'm going to bring back an old favorite segment of the show. Uh, special thanks to Th Ponders. Um, I, I you know I was gonna just thank you at the end of the uh, at the end of the episode, but here's a, a big thank you here because uh, Ponders established the. Um, the color theory of Rogue the One. Universal color theory. Universal of Rogue col- One. color theory of Rogue One. Yes. And uh, if you need a refresher on that, you can go back and, and re-listen to um, uh, episode two of the show. Um, but so I'm gonna continue it uh, here. So um, here's our color theory for the uh, for the episode. Uh, the engineers, uh, Galen's men, are all wearing white. Uh, which is the same color that Orson Krennic always wears. <laughs> Him in his beautiful white cape, he descends from his ship, um, and he faces down the the engineers, all in white, just like him, and Galen or so. 
who's standing there in a dark suit, um, who stands between the men and Krennic, um, which is he's wearing dark a dark suit, which uh, also our Rogue One crew is also wearing. They're all dressed in black. They've got those dark ponchos that keep them hidden in the dark. Um, they're moving through the darkness to hide from the Empire. And this is Galen's dark suit, which is um, also letting him hide from the Empire, but inside the Empire. Um, so he's, uh, he is the, the physical barrier there, um, standing amidst, you know, white in front of him, white behind him. He's standing there in his dark suit. Um, and, but this is his last stand. Um, it is. And it, uh, to, to talk about the rhyming of this scene, here's, mm-hmm. here's Krennic descending from his ship in that same white outfit to have Galen standing between him and something he wants. Mm-hmm. And Galen is going to try to lie. He's going to try to lie. And well, it's not going to go well for it's him. It's going to go well for him. And it didn't at the beginning of the movie. And it's not going to go well for him here. Which is, which is, I mean, a little ironic. Because we were told that he learned to lie. <laughs> yeah, he says it. He says, I lied. I learned to lie. Um, uh, but he clearly needed to learn a little bit more. Because his lie, <laughs> his lie bad, though. Um, But then, you know, he steps up in, when, it's, when it's time. Um, you know, he, he, he takes his, 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 uh, last stand and says it was, you know, he tells the truth finally, but we'll, again, we'll get there. <laughs> right. So I want to talk about Galen and Krennic confronting each other. And I want to talk about who's watching. Right. Right. Uh, because... shall we talk, talk about who's watching yeah. first? Uh, because this is, this is the thing that I've just realized. Mm-hmm. The last time Jin saw her father, uh, she was hidden and watching mm-hmm. as her yeah. father let people die, let her mother die, and and left. Right. Not let, but but was there when was it happened. Was there when it happened. Right. Didn't, yeah. Wasn't able to stop it. Right. Here we see there's growth there, but Jin is watching her father not let people die or or trying to trying not to let people die throwing himself into harm's way to to try and stop somebody from being shot who shouldn't be shot and so so there's a lot happening in the scene that returns Jin to that moment but one of the things that the movie does is she is small here she's lower than everybody else right uh, because she's just peeking over the, the top of the platform on the ladder. Like she's just crouched over and looking. And right. so that brings her back down to that ground level shot where we saw her when she was just a child watching this tragedy unfold. It's all happening again. Right. But now... And s- similar to when she's watching Galen's message and his hologram is super tall yeah. and she's super little and it puts her back into that perspective. She's seeing it from her childhood eyes. Yeah. And and also there's someone else watching. Right. Right? So so what's different now is that Cassian is there. Cassian and Bodhi are there. Yeah. And so they finally get up to a good spot and um they Cassian, you know, has Bodhi identify Galen and then start setting up his sniper. 
And he starts setting up his rifle. He's, you know, got it in... He's locking, the, you know, the, the scope in place and he's gonna... Gonna make the shot. And he sends Bodhi away. And he says, go find us a way out of here. Which is something he'll ask Bodhi to do later in the film also. Right. Um, and Bodhi hesitates. Uh, and he's suspicious. Um, but he does not... Um, he doesn't stand up or question uh, Cassian. He he goes to find them a way out. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't really know what to to think of that. I guess it's. I mean, it's. Is was Bodhi scared to say anything? Was he? Did he feel like there was no way he could stop it? Did he? Um, did he just? decide you know what the better thing for me to do is to make sure that we can get out of here alive and then we can talk about it later Bodhi knows Galen Galen is the man who convinced Bodhi to take the message yep. like they're close oh yeah um and you were saying that that one way you like to look at Bodhi and Jin is as found siblings absolutely yeah um, uh, both looking up to Galen as a father figure yeah uh and I don't know. Maybe maybe Bodhi doesn't know. Like maybe he doesn't. He gives he gives Cassian a significant look, but is is Bodhi Rook the cargo pilot? Local boy. Right. Is he <laughs> is he capable of subterfuge at this point? Like, does he have a strong enough will to know what's right and what's wrong? Maybe not. I don't not. know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe he just knows why. be a pilot. Right. He, uh, he knows he's he knows he's a pilot. He's not a rebel yet. You not know? yet. He will be told that he's a rebel. Yes, that's that important. Will, that will help him rebuild some of his character. But I think at this point he's a pilot and a guide. And when somebody tells him to do something, he he can't he can't not. Right. This is the second time in this film that Bodhi Rook stands looking out onto a place that he once called home. Um, that's Jeddah, which was his, you know, he was born there, uh, in Edu, where he presumably spent enough time there to get to know and trust Galen. Um, and it's going to get blown up right in front of his face again. Um, and this is Bodhi Rook, cargo pilot, local boy, <laughs> um, kind of re- like maybe just resorting back to, all right, I know what I can do. I can right. I can grab the ship. I can get us I can get us out safe. He's a pilot. I'm a pilot. I brought uh, the message. I'm the pilot. So, I I think I think that's we I think we can forgive Bodhi for not stopping Cassian. Yeah. And th- truly, the only person who can stop Cassian is Cassian. And he does. And he does stop himself. And that's that's a really important moment, uh, because. It does separate Cassian. Well, we'll talk about this later when we talk about the the fight on the ship as they right. fly as they fly away. Right. But it does separate him from an unthinking, unfeeling soldier like a stormtrooper. Uh, it does. Here's a guy who can make his own choices, and he maybe previously couldn't make his own choices. He was being told to what choices to make. Right. And now he's up there on the cliff, and he's got a perfect shot, unrestricted view. Of the man that he's been told in no uncertain terms that he has to assassinate. And he has a finger on the trigger and he is ready to go. And doesn't do it. The thing that stood out to me was that 
he had just as clear a shot of Krennic. He did. But Krennic wasn't even on the table as far as people he could take out. He doesn't even know who Krennic is. I guess not. Uh, if it were Jin up there, if he had taken Jin, she might have been like, oh, kill oh, that guy. get that guy. That guy sucks. <laughs> oh, man. That dude, all in white. Mm-mm, bad Mm-mm, news. Bad dude. Kill my uh, mom. Get him. <laughs> but she's not there. Another nope. consequence of splitting the party. Mm-hmm. So he just has to make a choice about Galen. And he makes the right one. But I feel like another thing about this scene that makes it so bleak is a lot of people are making choices... They're being forced to make choices. Galen is forced to stand in front of the scientists. And give give away the game. Right. Uh, you know, Cassian is being forced to assassinate Galen. And now the X-Wing pilots are locked in to this bombing run. And mm-hmm. they realize, you know, that the commander Draven is like, oh, wait, no, bad move. But there's nothing to be done at that yeah, point. Yeah, there, there's no contacting them, probably. They're already engaged. Like, they're already going. Um, and, and so that's that's what happens next as Cassian disengages the, the sniper rifle in Fly the X-Wings. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just want to go... I, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to the novelization of Rogue One. Yeah. Um, but there's a moment in the book here where, um, where he's got his rifle trained on Galen's head and Galen turns his head just enough that... Cassian can gets a full good look at his face and part of why he chooses to put the rifle down is he sees that Jin and Galen have the same eyes. He says he looks into Galen's eyes and sees Jin and suddenly finds that he can't shoot anymore. That's wonderful. Isn't it? And some really great subtext for the scene. Um unfortunately because of the film medium uh <laughs> we'll, we'll never that. see it in the movie. Right, um, unless but... it was a voiceover or he said it out loud. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which how would bad be would so this silly. movie be if be Cassian so was constantly bad. monologuing <laughs> inside really his own bad. head? It would and be so bad. And then I saw he had and the same saw... eyes as Jin. <laughs> like, it doesn't work in the movie, <laughs> sorry. No, absolutely not. And that's the, the benefit of the novelization, which is so good, by yeah. the way. Everybody should read it. We'll do an episode about it. Um, I'm going to make you read it and talk about it with me. Of course, of course. Um, And so... Yeah, that, that, like, he sees Jin's eyes, but I think that's also, um, I think that's uh, literally, like, oh, they probably have the same, like, color eyes, maybe the same shape eyes, like, he's her father, right? But also, I think that his, because this is after Galen has already stood in front of the engineers. He's standing there, like, and, and is like, no, like, it was me. I did this. And, uh and gets slapped down and and the engineers get shot and everything and Cassian's looking he's like oh maybe this isn't as clear cut as i thought like this guy's standing up and uh the this imperial hates him so maybe he's you know maybe he's a good guy i don't know but maybe what he's seeing in in Galen's eyes is not just they look the same but he sees the same like fight and the same like passion and the same yeah. um like like honesty <laughs> um which is yeah, Galen telling the truth right there on the platform. And I think that Jin has was has been more honest or, or clear with Cassian than she's been with almost anybody. Um, he's seen her cry and she looked him in the eye and asked him to trust her. And they're already, you know, have shared so much in this in the story that he can look into the eyes of a man, a vulnerable man and see his daughter. <laughs> Thank you.
I hate to go back, but I want to go, go back. back again. Do it. Do it. We had a little bit of a disagreement about this when we were watching the movie yesterday, so I I want to bring it back up on the show. Oh yeah, we did. And see if we if we can if we can suss this out because it wasn't like we were fighting about it. We no. just couldn't decide. I actually think by the by the end if this was one I think we 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 disagreed a few times. Right. Uh, but I think this was one maybe I ended up agreeing with you on. So when Galen stands up in front of the Imperial engineers, is that because he cares about them? Mm. Is, yeah. Is Galen right? a man who cares? despite everything that's happened to him, despite the fact that these engineers aren't even on his side. No, they're working to build the Death Star. Is he a man who cares about their lives? I I would like to think so. Um, I think he cares about their lives. I think maybe it's because he wasn't, like we said, wasn't able to save Lyra. This is like a, oh, no, somebody else is going to get shot because of me. I can't let that happen kind right. of thing. Um, whether it's for his own conscience or for his, like, uh, like actual caring about their lives. I don't know if that, I don't know if that matters. Is he just doing it because he doesn't want people to get shot or, like, he doesn't want it, like, weighing on his, on his conscience or because he actually cares about their lives? Does it really matter? It's, it's really not the like strategic move here no right uh you just let them get shot right right so i guess i guess my question is like we know that galen is a man capable of immense love Mm -hmm. right and we'll get a little bit more into that later too uh and we know that he's a a terrible liar and a brilliant scientist (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i think Honestly, I think Galen cares about everyone. And I think that's his main character flaw. Like, if he could lie better, if he could pretend to not care, he could do so much more. But he he's honest, and he and cares. And he's, like, literally unable to pretend like he doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And and I think, you know, more than, more than just guilt... It's it's genuine care for his fellow engineers, his yeah, team, people you know? he's been working with side by side for how many years, right? Yeah, despite everything. Despite everything, I mean, Orson Krennic was once his friend, right? So, you know, maybe these guys are his friend too, even yeah. though he knows they're doing something bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It's just food for thought about Galen or so. I love Galen or so. He deserves better. <laughs> he does. He never Every, he never really gets anything good better. in this whole movie. It's so sad. He's such a sad boy. I actually think okay, so here's another idea I had. Do you think Krennic uh do you think Krennic knows it was Galen? Do you think Oh absolutely. He, do you think he knew? And well, he was yeah. just gonna kill the engineers just to make Galen uh confess. Just to, to make it? him sad, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Krennic is a is a so we were talking about this yesterday too, this question of how just how bad is Krennic? He's, like, yeah, he's he's Pretty middle bad. management, which <laughs> which is some something that has been used both as a oh, isn't it interesting to see what imperial middle management looks like, um, and also like oh, this lame middle management dude is the bad guy of the story. Like, but <laughs> he's middle management, and. The, the question that I have is when 
the Death Star blows up Jeddah City, and he says, oh, it's beautiful. Is he in awe of his creation? Is he proud? Is it actually beautiful to him? Is he a little horrified about what he's done? Uh, is there empathy there? Like, oh, there's beauty in this destruction. Also, it's destructive and bad, and that can that can both be true, right? So when he lines up the scientists to try to get a confession out of Galen, which he knows it's Galen Erso, like, it right. couldn't be anybody else. When he lines up the scientists and is like, somebody confess, and nobody does, and he's going to shoot them all, it's just to get Galen to say yes. Right. And but that's why I think... He orders Ga- their death anyways. Right. Because he's bad. Because he's, he's like, bad, he's right? How bad. bad is Krennic? I think, I think Krennic he's really is actually bad. bad. Like, he's... truly awful. Yeah, he is. He's, he's sniveling and scheming and because whines to Darth Vader when he doesn't get his way. And he's actually bad. There's a different version of the movie where, not like in my head, yeah. where, uh, or like maybe a worse version of this movie, where um, when Krennic says, oh, it's beautiful, and they watch the destru- destruction, and Krennic walks away. It's the end of the Krennic Tarkin dance number, uh, which was our last episode. Um he walks away and he's got his his chin in his hands and he's in deep, deep, deep thought. There's a different version of this film where that deep, deep, deep thought is, oh no, what have I done? Right. And but there... it's not because the other the other thing he says that scene is like, this is my achievement. I did this. <laughs> he takes full this? credit for it. <laughs> I did this. <laughs> this is my achievement, not yours. He says, and yeah. he's and he's like, I'm gonna talk to the emperor. You're gonna, you know, like. No, like, I'm not going to let this stand. Nobody else gets to take credit for it. <laughs> Krennic is bad. And yeah. I think Galen, I think, I think Galen or some knows that Krennic knows <laughs> um, yeah. also. Because I think about, and I could hear it in my head all the time. I think about the delivery of Galen or so saying, um, no, it was me. It was me. That's how he says the line. You can, you can, uh, I'll put it in, I'll insert it here. <laughs> It was me. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, "It was me. It was me." It's he a says, it's a confirmation, and it's yeah. confirming what was unsaid, which was, "I know it's you." Mm-hmm. And then the um, the engineers get shot anyways because Krennic is a really bad guy. I I just what what keeps bringing me back to how just how bad is Krennic is moments like being told Lyra is dead and that almost genuine oh I'm yeah. sorry. Part of me part of me thinks that 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 my condolences is almost is like this close to genuine. Yeah. That maybe he actually kind of means it. Like Galen was a friend, right? And right. so he's like, "Oh, you know, like my condolences. You and lost, Lyra your, is lost your troublesome, wife. but she's she's his friend's wife and they were all friends." Mhm. And uh, <laughs> But also he knows he knows that Galen's lying. <laughs> right. So Galen is a terrible liar. So he how, how and, and then also, oh, it's beautiful with that other version of the movie being so palpably possible. Like yeah. I can picture, oh no, what have I done? And now now Orson Krennic, middle manager, is <laughs> the only hope of the galaxy and he's gonna come come through at the last second and do one good thing with his life yeah there's a that i think maybe is uh not as good of a of it's a not as good of a story 
but what complicates Krennic for me are these little moments and slapping slapping Galen down and killing the engineers instead despite the fact that Galen confessed yeah that's bad that's really bad (laughs) I mean that's bad but also Galen's his friend Galen's his friend and he's not dead after that order um no who don't i don't know what he was planning on doing with galen maybe just taking him prisoner uh if the alliance hadn't come like i don't think do you think kernick would have just killed galen not i mean would he really kill the scientists and then spare galen just to watch him be sad for a second and then have him killed no he was gonna take him away he was gonna take him he was gonna he was gonna make him keep working he was gonna make him tell him about the flaw Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm and so, I there there are these little moments of weakness in humanity in Krennic that make him so fascinating, and Mendelssohn really brings it. Oh, he does. <laughs> he's so good. Um, but the the way that he's written and some of these kind of ambivalent actions and lines, even even here at the end of Galen's life. Um, they just they just fill me with with question marks. Yeah. Uh, so when Galen's down on his knees and he says, "You'll never win." You'll never win. Oh my oh, god. Oh, Lyra, troublesome as ever, right? That's Lyra's, Lyra's just line. Right there again. You will never win. And that's Galen, who has never ever ever forgotten that moment. Who has never let his girls, Lyra, Jin, far from his brain, right? Like that's. That's him remembering Lyra in a moment where he, yeah, maybe he thinks he might die or, you know, he's, he's channeling his, his long lost wife in this, in this moment. Um, and uh, Krennic hasn't forgotten Lyra either. No, because, because Krennic gets the reference right away. <laughs> there's that recognition on his face. I think that's another thing that humanizes Krennic and, and brings into question how bad he is because he remembers killing mm-hmm. Lyra. If he were he a does. ruthless killing machine he would... it was just another death or whatever yeah just it was whatever girl. whatever you need to do we were this close um but he yeah he remembers but then he spits it back he's like where have i heard that before um which is so mean <laughs> it's so mean where have i heard that before <laughs> now where have i heard that before and mm. and it's yeah it's really good <laughs> the x-wings come in yeah oh and this is something i I noticed about this one have we ever had an x-wing battle where you don't get to see into the cockpit of any of them no uh in no other movie i am i i do have perfect recall of every star (laughs) wars movie and i can tell you that we have seen the interior of an x-wing in every movie in which they've appeared except well i mean including rogue one yeah, because um, uh, during the Battle of Scarif, we see into lots of cockpits. But right, in this but one, in you don't this see scene, anybody. In this scene, the X-Wing pilots are specifically kept anonymous. Mm-hmm. They are a strike force from beyond the stars that has come to ruin this moment for us. <laughs> yeah, because they're not really our team yet, are they? No. Like, we're on Jin's team. We're on Jin. We're on Team Urso right now, and the Rebellion is not. Um, I mean, the the Rebellion would rather Galen be dead anyways. Right. 
I mean, the the only reason that Draven wants to call off the strike is because Cassian is there. And that's right. what K2, K2 broadcasts back, like, like actually, no, we've no got Alliance, Alliance forces, forces are there. On site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Draven's like, oh, no, we got to call it off. Not to stop, you know, not to stop Galen from dying. Not to but, save Jin. But to save Cassian. To save Cassian. Um, so we don't get to see into the cockpit. We don't get to know who's doing this because they're not our boys yet. Nope. They're, they're baddies, essentially. Um, we don't want them to succeed. And this is that moment where the X-Wings are terrifying. Yeah. They're they're fast, effective, out of nowhere, big explosions and gone. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot that's a lot to take in from the point of view of an audience that has only known the x-wings as the heroic ship right and so yeah because they're not they're not the heroes this is not the heroic ship they they come they cause a lot of destruction and then they leave they give us you know a great little fight scene we get to see Chirrut take down a tie fighter without even looking so good with, and he turn does his a, head he that does way behind the back he does it behind the back it's so good right and, and, like, it's a great, it's a great scene. Right. Um, and it's very scary, and it's dark, and it's only lit by fire, and then, and then the X-Wings are just gone. Like, gone. And we're left with the aftermath. And the aftermath is Galen, twisted and broken on the ground. Um, and I'm gonna bring the, the color theory back again. Um remember the warm yellow glow of the lantern of that uh, Jin was holding in the cave uh, was, was we said represented Lyra and he, she's shaking it. She's trying to keep the light on while she's down there and she can't because her mother's gone. That's the warm yellow light is home and her mother and her family together. And it's just that the light won't, um, won't stay on. Uh, in this scene, the only light we have is uh, the warm yellow glow of the fires of the aftermath of this fight. And um, you get Jin uh, and Galen lit by the light of Lyra and maybe get, and you know Galen's gonna, gonna gonna go join her in the force any minute. And she's there right there at the end. Um, and the the bright white of the empire, the white of Krennic, the right white of the engineers, and the white of the uh, back of the empire's ship, um, nearly blows Jin away. She gets, you know, she gets t- knocked back and almost falls off the platform, um, and that's the the bright white light. And uh, but she holds on and she fights and she gets back up and the the light of the empire leaves and it's just her and her family, um, and it's. It's her and, and Galen, and she gets to talk to her father one more time. And it's really powerful. It is. Uh, and the the line, or the I guess the word that sticks with me through all of it is papa. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is so familiar. Yeah. And so, like so close which is not what we know about Jin and galen uh they've been separated mm-hmm. and this moment feels so close and genuine 
uh, and there's a lot of work being done visually uh, to remind us of when Jin and her family were separated. Uh, she is her hair is exactly the same as that mm-hmm. day. It's yeah, soaking wet and plastered away from her face. Right. Um, and she is calling him Papa. She sounds so young. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, there she is making another promise because that's one of the last things that they said to each other. And he says, I want you to promise me and say that you understand. Jin, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. And the last conversation they have is Jin saying, I promise I will destroy the Death Star. I hear I got your message and I and I will promise you this. I've seen your message. The hologram, I've seen it. It must be destroyed. I know. I know. We will. And it's this like these oaths that they keep taking to each other. Um again, another mirror to the beginning of the beginning of the film. Yeah. I want to talk about Papa. Okay. I want to talk about it because Star Wars is a lot about dads. It's a lot about dads. It's a lot about dads in Star Wars. And, you know, this this last Star Wars film, uh, Rise of Skywalker, we heard dad uh, for the first time in a Star That's Wars movie. That's true. That's so true. And then that, um, that cuts my heart open. Yeah, every time. I think time. about that a lot. Uh, you know, this is not a Rise of Skywalker podcast. It might become one someday. <laughs> um, but for the time being, we're a Rogue One podcast. And uh, Dad was really powerful. Because we we heard a lot about Father. You know, yeah. your you father. You hear the word Han Father Solo. a lot. Well, you know, Father is the only paternal title we hear before that in the skywalker saga yeah uh, i'm a jedi like my father before me even shmi is like there was no father there was no father oh uh obi-wan to, to padme is anakin the father right um <laughs> no i'm your father <laughs> for the most obvious <laughs> right no i'm your father no i am your father or when uh, he goes to confront Vader on Endor, and he's like, yes, father, I know father. And it's it's all of this, is Vader my father? Yeah. It's all father, father, father. Father, father, father. Dad Until... is really powerful from Until Ben Solo. Ben Solo gets to say dad, which is, God, my heart just hurt again. <laughs> that Yeah. Just thinking about it hurts. That's but, good. But get this. Papa is so much closer and so much more familiar and so much more powerful than father could ever be. And yet it it is in direct contrast to the way that Galen and Jin have referred to themselves, you know, my daughter, daughter of Galen Erso. Mm -hmm. And now finally Papa or like, Galen is your father. And they were trying yeah. to... when was the last time you had contact with your father? Right. Father, father, father. Even, um... Even, uh... Saw. It was like, they were trying to figure out daughter of an imperial scientist. Mm-hmm. Right? 
people yeah. were starting to realize who you were. Now, Papa. And Stardust. And Stardust. At the end of it all, my Stardust and Papa. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It, Star Wars is about family. Yes. There's so much in Star Wars that is about family. And this is one of those moments that is so much more deeply about family than any of that other mythic stuff about lineage and bloodlines and even the official stuff about lineage and bloodlines in this movie like this is papa papa's a big deal for a word here yeah um and it it kind of blew me away to notice it this time yeah it's yeah wow that that hurts yeah <laughs> Ooh, that hurts <laughs> Um, um but you know it's now now Jin has things she didn't have before you know she's got closure with her father to go back to using the word father <laughs> um, she has closure she has a, a mission yeah a she, ha- she has a promise and a mission um and she does have a family uh she might not know it <laughs> it might not be it not, might not be true yet and they might be about to have one of the biggest fights they will ever have well <laughs> yeah well, one of the only fights they'll ever have uh, but <laughs> they are about to really solidify as a family mm-hmm. and we're gonna hear some more family words very soon actually like little sister yeah she gets to she leaves her family behind on that platform she doesn't want to she says i can't leave them i can't leave them and she doesn't want to leave Galen there, but she leaves Galen and the light of Lyra, that warm yellow glow of the fire, she leaves them behind together. Um, and this is the second time in this movie that Cassian has to literally pull her away from a depiction of her father um, and bring her back towards her new family. Brings her back towards a, an imperial ship that they've commandeered, yeah. um, which is the, you know, a direct representation of the people that took her family away in the first place. Um, but she does it, you know? She's Jin Erso. She's so strong. And she is. Um and she couldn't do it though without her family. She and Cassian wouldn't have gotten away if Baze hadn't, you know, shot down a bunch of those stormtroopers behind them. Uh wouldn't get off the planet if it weren't for Brody taking the ship. Uh and the ship uh blasts away a bunch of stormtroopers too. And then K2 gets to give Bodhi a new piece of his identity. Wow. And and Bodhi's like, that's right. That's what I am. I'm a pilot. I brought the message. I'm a rebel. Yeah, I'm a rebel. And he starts to live that as soon as K2 tells him. The next things we see Bodhi do are far more rebel than Imperial or Errand Boy. Yeah. And it's really, really, really important in this story that K2SO is the one to get to call Bodhi a rebel. Because he's um, also reprogrammed. He's also a reprogrammed Imperial. Wow. I know. Wow. <laughs> I oh, know. Man, that could have been anybody saying that to him. but Anybody oh could gosh. have given him that title, but it is so important that it's K2. Oh, that's beautiful. Because K2 is, yeah, because it's K2 is proof positive that you could have been a rebel and then and then not be a, or sorry you could have been an imperial and then not anymore right he is literally reprogrammed and Bodhi's just gone through a massive reprogramming himself 
Um, and, and yeah, that's just like a gift that, that Bodhi is given. Um, but he only gets to do it after, I mean, he's, he's kind of been, he's been quite rebellious up to this point, flying them in and, and, you know, finding the ship and helping move, you know, move some cargo back to the ship and stuff. He's, he's been helpful. He only gets to get called a rebel after he's killed a stormtrooper, actually. (laughs) Which, which seems like such a small deal because of the way that we the audience perceive stormtroopers right they're faceless you know mass of nothing right right? but Bodhi literally worked at this phase yeah he could have known that guy who knows he'll he'll never know if he knew them right does he even know them in anymore yeah because he's just he's not him he's not who he used to be he is not himself he's a rebel um and they fly off, despite the fact that the Rogue One family has reunited on one ship and have made their heroic escape. Uh, things are not good. No. No, things are not good. Um, Mom and Dad in this family are going to have to fight it out. Uh, I, I was looking at your notes here, and, and that's how you wrote it. Mom yep. and Dad are about to have a fight. Yep. And, okay, to, to belabor a point, uh Jin and Cassian are now the matriarch and patriarch de facto of yeah. this family. They're the boss. And that's wild because Jin's family is now it got completely reunited and now permanently separated. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have a they're gonna fight it out right now about yeah. trust and honesty. But before that, they get on the ship and the lights and music cut out entirely. It is a black screen and no music. And that is our turning point and the end of this segment. Congratulations on your first episode with us, bud. Alice, thank you so much for bringing me along for this this wild ride. Um, I... You, when we started podcasting two years ago, mm-hmm. um, I I had a f- completely different experience and uh, and opinion of Rogue One, and part of why you started Rogue One in the first Rogue place, fun. oh Rogue Fun, <laughs> part of why you started Rogue Fun in the first place was to convince me that Rogue One is one of the greats and have i done it alice i just discussed five minutes of that movie with you for an hour (laughs) if it's not one of the greats it's certainly one of the densest most interesting pieces of one of not the greats (laughs) so i think it might be one of the greats and now that you've roped me into this uh what appears to be a u-wing uh around us right now i don't know how you got me here um and i'll never tell this this cabin of a u-wing mm-hmm. uh and have uh asked me to be your co-pilot on this adventure mm-hmm. um i i am 100 percent uh a fan of rogue one <laughs> it's really I'm it's really, really to good to here. have you it's really good to have you and it's really good to be back to the show thank you all for <laughs> listening it means the absolute world to me that 
that you're back and that we're back and we're um, we're full steam ahead. We're still a monthly show. We'll be releasing uh, one episode a month uh, covering uh, different, you know, more segments of, of the movie until we reach the end. And from there, uh, further episodes about the books, about the Casting Nando show when it comes out, we will not run out of content. Um, so tune in uh, next month for the next episode where we'll be discussing the fight on the ship uh, flying away from Idu and the scene with uh, Krennic and Vader on Mustafar. <laughs> I cannot wait. I almost want to record about it right now because those are two of my favorite scenes in the movie. But no, we nope. have to watch it in April and then we have to discuss it then. So yes. Alice, I will, I will persevere. I will wait. We will watch the movie again. <laughs> We'll watch the movie again, and we might even do another watch party. So uh, uh, once again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, follow us on Twitter at RogueFunPod uh, for uh, updates. You'll see I'll, I'll make regular posts about our uh, watch parties and about how to join our Discord server uh, if you want to follow us uh, and talk to us there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, our Discord server, which is uh, for our... Um, I kind of, I guess, our podcast collective now. Yeah. Um, our, our collection of podcasts, not podcast collective. Uh, yeah, called, I think that uh, might those, be a better way. Those happy podcasts uh, yeah. named after our first uh, our first podcast, our baby, which is uh, Those Happy Places. Yeah. Uh, and we've been doing that show for just over two years now. And uh, it's a really fun show that uh, we treat theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. Uh, and... Yeah, it's been a it's been a joy to continue to grow as podcasters and keep adding shows to the list. Um, and if anybody wants to follow me, um, I'm at buddy underscore Duquesne on Twitter. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. I am always on Twitter. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Alice White THP, which stands for, again, those happy places or, or podcasts. those happy podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> if you like the show and you want to support the show, or if you want to hear more information about the other shows that we make, including uh, our new audio drama called The Joust, uh, you can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash those happy places is the place to be. Uh, you'll find uh, bonus mini episodes on there. You'll find some blog posts. You'll find uh, ways that you could support the show and special rewards that you can get at each tier. Um, and if you, um, you know, if you can't support the show right now, we totally understand. Uh, just give us a shout out on, on Twitter or something. Let us know that you're listening. And, uh, and thank you for being here. And yeah, thank you, thank buddy. Thank you, Alice, for having me. Thank you, everyone out there who listened. Yep. Uh, this show is very special, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. Yep. Biggest, uh, biggest, impossibly big thanks to um, uh, Charles Gustine and Awesome Chaudhry for the Patreon support. And uh, again, to TH Ponders uh, for uh, letting me continue this show uh, with your blessing and for making the show art. <laughs> um. <laughs> So I guess that's it. Uh, hey, buddy. Uh, yeah. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.